Hi, my name is Pastor Nathan at River Rock Church in, Min in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. This is my first week as the pastor of River Rock Church, and I'm really excited to see what God has been doing and what he'll continue to do through the coming years. Now, one of the things that I really love about River Rock Church is the focus that is put on prayer. And if you ever have the opportunity to come one of our, to one of our Sunday services, you'll notice that at the beginning of the service, we have this time where people can share their prayer requests and their praises. And we pray for one another. And as a church and as a community, we pour our hearts out before God. And it's a really special moment. And I would encourage you to participate in it, in it if you can. Now, one of the questions that I've been asked many times throughout my time in ministry is, why do we pray? And this is an important question to ask. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, and see what Jesus says about why we pray. So with that question in mind, why do we pray? Let's pray and then dive into the text. Heavenly Father, I ask that as we dive into your word, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I would speak your words and not my own. I ask that you'd bless everyone who watches this video so that you would transform their lives by the truth of your word. And that as we really think about and contemplate the reasons that we pray, that you would make those reasons clear to us and that you would use the, the conversation that we have today to build in us a deeper relationship with you that shows itself in the way that we treat those around us. I ask that in all things, your name would be glorified and your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we look at the verses for today, we're going to look at the context of Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6 is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a compilation of different teachings that Jesus gave about various topics. But it's all centered around the, the, the basic theme of the kingdom of heaven and what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and to live a, the Christian life. And in chapter 6, Jesus begins to start talking about acts of righteousness. In some translations, it'll say piety, but... But basically what it just means in the Greek is, is things that are righteous, right? And normally when we think about things that are righteous or being righteous, we think about things that we don't do. Uh, while Jesus does teach a lot about things that we shouldn't do as Christians, here he focuses on things that we should do, like give charity and pray and fast. Now, you might be happy to hear that we're not going to be going through all three of those things in this message today, uh, but we will be talking about prayer. And that begins in verses five through six. In verse 5 through 6, Jesus says, And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I've spoken to some people who look at this verse, and they take it extremely literally. They'll look at verses five through six and they'll say, see, every public prayer is a sin. Jesus clearly taught that every public prayer is a sin. But we know that's not what Jesus is really talking about in these verses. That's not what he means. Well, how do we know that? We know that because Jesus himself did public prayers. His disciples and his apostles did public prayers. And the church all throughout history has done public prayers. So clearly Jesus is not saying that literally you should never pray in public and you should only pray in a closet in your room when you're all alone. But he's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about the heart behind the prayer and the motivation as to why we're praying. What Jesus is saying is that 
we should never praise that people can look at us and think, wow, that that person must be really religious. Or did you hear the words that she used when she prayed? She must be really spiritual or really wise. We shouldn't pray to impress or gain favor from other people. When we pray, we should pray because when we pray, we believe that we encounter God. We pray because we believe that the creator of the universe is alive and active and that we have the amazing opportunity to commune with, commune with him when we pray. Jesus says that those hypocrites who try to seem religious by using the fancy words and praying in public so that they can get the attention of other people and trying to present themselves as holier than thou, they may boost their egos and they may get the attention that they want from other people. And that's the reward. But the real reward of prayer is not the attention of other people, but it's the fact that when we pray, we encounter God, the God of the universe in the quiet parts of our heart. And through that encounter, we are transformed. Jesus continues to talk about reasons that we shouldn't pray in verses seven and eight. He says, when you are praying, do not heap up empty words as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, when Jesus is talking about heaping up empty words, what he's describing is um, people who followed the Roman gods at the time, and they would say these repetitive words over and over again, or these um, special incantations or these special prayers, thinking that because they did, said those prayers or because they said those repetitive words, the gods would listen to them and they'd do what they want almost like a form of manipulation or an effort to try to convince the gods to act in the way that they wanted. Now, praying a lot or using repetitive words, again, is not the issue in the same way that in verses five through six, public prayer wasn't the issue. But again, it's the motivation behind the prayer and it's the heart behind the prayer. Are we heaping up empty words or using special prayers because we think that by doing that, somehow we can convince God to bend to our will? Or we can somehow wear him down so finally he'll do exactly what we want, exactly when we want it. And when I read Jesus' description of what the Gentiles were doing with heaping up these empty words, it reminds me of when I take my son and daughter to the store. Now, one of the things that I started doing early on is when we'd go grocery shopping, I'd say, okay, if you're good, you can pick one treat and you can pick one drink. Now, maybe I set myself up for this situation by, by starting to do that. But they've gotten to the point now where they kind of expect the treat and kind of expect the drink. And so now they're trying to push for a little bit extra. So when I say, oh, you know, go down and pick your one treat, they'll say, well, can I get two treats? And especially my daughter, she is pretty persistent and pretty, uh, you know, headstrong. And so she'll continue to ask over and over and over again if she can have more than one treat. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to break me down. And, and, and nag just enough so that hopefully I'll get tired of it and say, okay, fine, let's just get two treats and keep moving. But God is not a parent that we're trying to wear down to get extra candy from, or a genie and a lamp that we're, you know, that if we rub the lamp and say the right words, then he'll grant our wishes. He is God, our father, who knows what we need before we ask. And there are no special words or pile of empty phrases that can somehow force God to conform to our will. So if we shouldn't pray so that we can gain the favor of other people, and we shouldn't pray in order to somehow bend God's will towards our own, why should we pray? Well, as we look at the first lines of the Lord's Prayer, 
This gives us a really clear idea of why we should pray. Jesus said in verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the first thing that they do is praise God for who he is and recognize who we are in relationship to him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In just these, these few words, this small portion of the prayer, we pray something really profound. We acknowledge that God is transcendent, that he is above all creation, above all limits of time and space and distance, that he's all holy, almighty, all righteous, and all loving. But he's not just transcendent. He's also personal. That's why we call him our father. Because even though he's glorious and mighty and transcendent, he desires a personal relationship with us. And by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, he wants to adopt us in sons, as sons and daughters and make us citizens of his kingdom. And that's why Jesus told his followers to begin by calling God our father. The first lines of the Lord's Prayer are a recognition that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he's also our Father who is near and personal, and that we are members of his household and citizens of his kingdom. Jesus taught us that when we pray, we encounter the transcendent God in a personal way as our Heavenly Father. And Jesus continues in verse 10 when he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And these lines, I think, is the key to unlocking our understanding of why we pray. Because if you look at the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't need our prayers or our permission for his kingdom to come. He doesn't need our permission for his will to be done. Right? God is completely powerful, completely sovereign, completely transcendent. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. His kingdom is already established and his will is already being done. So why do we say this? Well, one of the amazing parts about the Christian faith is that there have been men and women throughout history who have struggled with these very same questions and looked at these very same verses. And we have the opportunity to look back and see the answers that they came up with and how how they understood the text. And as I was preparing for this message today, I came across an early church father who served as the Bishop of Carthage around 250 AD. His name was Cyprian, and he was born in North Africa and wrote extensively about prayer and specifically the Lord's Prayer. And about this very same verse, he wrote, we pray, let your will be done in heaven and on earth. We say this not so that God might do what he wishes, but that we should be able to do what God wishes. You see, we don't pray so that we can somehow change God. We pray so that as we encounter God through prayer, we will be changed. We don't pray so that we can seem righteous or so that we can get an ego boost. And we don't pray to change God or get him to do what we want. We pray because as we encounter God in prayer, we are changed by that encounter. And our will and passions and desires become more aligned with his will and his passions and his desires. And as we come more in line with God's will, and as our heart better reflects God's heart, then we can do God's will on the earth. We can live in a way that shows the qualities of his kingdom and brings the love of Jesus to those around us. When we understand that prayer, and specifically the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, is intended so that we can encounter God in a deep 
and personal way and be transformed by his presence, the true power and beauty of the Lord's prayer comes alive. So when we pray in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, we're reminded that we need to daily encounter God in the same way that we daily need food and water and shelter. We need to be encountering God and God's love every day in prayer. Not so that we can check off a box of things to do, and not so that we can kind of do our righteous deeds for the day, but because we are called to live lives that are filled with the love of God. And when we're not encountering God and his love daily, we can become easily distracted by the hardships and the busyness of life. And we ask God to give us this day our daily bread in recognition that what we have is not our own. Even though we should work hard and we should be good stewards and we should take care of the things that we have, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we recognize that everything that we have comes with God and that everything we have, we should hold out with open hands, open hands in praise to God and thanks for the things that he's given us. And also as an invitation for God to use the things that he's given us to glorify his name and to bless those around us. If we have this understanding of our, of our possessions, when we say, um, give us this day our daily bread, then there's no room for greed or arrogance or pride or looking down on people who have less or looking at people who have more with jealousy. We see everything as a gift from God to do his work and his will in the world. And when we pray in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, we recognize that we are no better than anyone else. We are not more righteous or more holy, but we are all sinners in need of a savior. And when I say that we're all sinners in need of a savior, I'm not saying that to, to beat us down or somehow hold us down in the guilt of our sin. I'm saying that because it's a call from the scriptures for us to cling closer to Jesus Christ, our savior, and to offer the same love and forgiveness and grace that we find from, from Jesus to people who maybe do us wrong or maybe who mistreat us. And I think this part of the prayer is one that's sometimes the most difficult to actually apply to our lives. Because if you've ever been wronged by someone, especially somebody who's close to you, someone that you trusted, it can be very difficult to actually get to the point where you can forgive them. And I think part of this comes from a misunderstanding of what it means to forgive. When we forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that we forget everything that happened, or we naively keep putting ourselves in in situations in which we're unsafe or where that person can take advantage of us. When we forgive someone, it means that instead of, instead of desiring retribution from them, we desire reform. We desire that God would transform their lives and change their actions for, for the betterment of us and people who encounter them, but also for their betterment. And finally, when we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we recognize that there is real evil in the world. And if we decide at any point that we're somehow above corruption or above temptation, then we ourselves may become sources of evil. And if you think about it, you almost never hear someone who does a horrible act say that they did it just because they like doing evil things or because they just wanted to do something that was wrong. There's always some sort of justification or logic or reasoning that the person follows so that they can somehow justify their actions and say that either what they did was right or the person they did it to deserved it. 
And when we stand up and we say that what really matters is what I want and what I deserve and what I think is right, then we refuse to be led by God and instead make ourselves the arbiters of good, uh, good and evil. And once we've done that, once we've decided that we're the ones who get to decide what's good and evil, we are the ones who get to decide what I can do and what I can't do, then no act of evil will ever be evil enough for us not to be able to justify it. Prayer is powerful because when we pray, we encounter God, the God who made us. And through that encounter, we are transformed. We don't pray for an ego boost or to seem righteous. And we don't pray to get our wishes granted. We don't pray in order to change God. We pray so that through encountering God in prayer, we ourselves will be changed. We pray so that our will, passions, and desires will come in line with God's will, passions, and desires. Because the message of the gospel is this, we are all sinners saved by grace through the victory of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And because of the price that he paid, we can have a deep and personal relationship with God. And the fruit of that relationship is a life well lived that reflects the love of God to those around us. Now, as we wrap up our time for today, I want to leave us with a challenge. And I actually found this challenge as I was preparing for the message. Uh, in a very old document called the Didache. And this is an early Christian writing. In fact, one of the earliest full copies of the Lord's Prayer that we found. Um, and throughout this document, it talks about the Christian life, how the churches were kind of run, and different spiritual disciplines that were encouraged in Christians. And in that document, it, it talks about the Lord's Prayer, and then it says that a Christian should pray the Lord's Prayer three times every day. Now, I'm not going to challenge us to do that, uh, but what I am going to challenge us to do is every day next week to pray the Lord's Prayer at least once a day. Whether we have prayed every day for a long time or maybe we haven't prayed for years. To pray the Lord's Prayer once a day, every day next week. And when we pray it, don't just recite the words or do it so that you can get it over with, but really take our time and contemplate the words. Expect to encounter God and desire to be transformed by the words of Jesus be transformed by the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So with that challenge in mind, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving these words of Jesus. Thank you for keeping this prayer intact throughout all the years that we ourselves could read it and learn from it. Help us to pray to you more often and more deeply expecting to encounter you, and expecting to be transformed by that encounter. I ask that as we go about our week, that you would forgive us of all of our sins, that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and that you would put a passion in our hearts so we would cling to you. I ask that in all things, your name would be glorified and your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.